Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. Uh, We are deep within this prophecy in the book of Revelation. I do want you to remember that the Apostle John uh, wrote this book under the direct inspiration of God. He was on the prison island of Patmos. He was in punishment there. It was the Alcatraz of its day, and the reason he was there was because he was a preacher of the living Lord Jesus Christ, and the Roman government thought that they would silence him completely by locking him away on a prison island. Little did they know that on that island, God would give John his word that would lead and instruct the church for many hundreds of years to come. When God wants his word to come through, you're not going to silence it. And that is the good news that we see throughout the Bible and certainly practiced in the life of John. So on that ancient Alcatraz, God lifts him up on a Sunday, gives him this revelation of the future, what is going to happen Uh, at the end of history, and we know that that is still ahead of us in time, though we are certainly much closer to the day than John was when he wrote this great prophecy. We are in chapter 14 tonight. At the beginning of this chapter, we see the Lamb of God in heaven, and this is on your sheet. The Lamb of God is surrounded by the 144,000 evangelists who had been sealed to bring millions to the Lord Jesus Christ in the day of the Great Tribulation. You will remember that these evangelists are Jews. It is the Jewish nation that has come back to Jesus as the Christ. They have come to realize that indeed Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so these evangelists have done their job in all of the world, covering the earth with the good news of Jesus the Savior. Their work at this point of chapter 14 is now complete. Their work is now done. And the amazing thing that we see is that God called 144,000 evangelists, 12,000 out of each tribe of Judah, and according to His Word, not one was lost. Out of 144,000 evangelists called, every one of them was sealed, Every one of them completed their work, and every one of them now is with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Now, while they are praising God, angels come forth with messages. That's where we are tonight in the great prophecy, chapter 14 of Revelation. We're going to study the angels' messages. Tonight, we're going to look at the messages of three angels of heaven And so I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 6 through 13 tonight. Hear then these words of the revelation of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 14, start with verse 6. John writes, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. 
And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. May God add His blessing to the reading of this precious portion of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the message of the three angels. We're going to look first at message number one, the first angel, which is in verses 6 and 7. And what we see here is something that's rather unusual in the word of the Bible. This is a preaching angel. That's quite unusual. This angel is flying through heaven, proclaiming the gospel of praise and glory and worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel proclaims that we must fear, respect God. We worship, adore, praise our God. For He made the heavens, He made the seas, He made the fountains of waters, and He is absolutely, without question, worthy of our praise. Now, as we consider a preaching angel, I have to tell you that it's a bit unusual in the Bible's word. By and large, throughout the Bible, angels marvel at the gospel. There is a great passage. If you want to write this passage uh, down, go to it sometime, read it. It is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. And this is what Peter writes about the preaching of the gospel. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. What Peter is saying is that the angels desire to understand the gospel. The angels desire to understand the grace of the living Lord Jesus Christ, according to the word of Peter. Also in Acts chapter 10, if you remember this passage, Cornelius is longing for salvation. And an angel comes to him and says, God hears your prayer. God hears your need uh, to hear about salvation. And the angel says, you go and send for Peter and Peter will tell you the gospel. The angel himself did not tell Cornelius the gospel, but rather by God's direction, the angel said, you go find Peter, and Peter will tell you the gospel. The angel could not or did not tell Cornelius. 
So angels rarely proclaim the gospel. We see it when they proclaim the gospel of the birth of Jesus Christ with the shepherds in the fields. And here in Revelation 14, we see an angel who preaches the gospel. But it's somewhat rare in God's Word to see an angel proclaim the gospel in these ways. What the angel preaches is the very same gospel that we preach this very night. That is that God deserves our Uh, our love. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. He deserves our praise because of who He is. He is the great Creator. He is the one who sent us a Savior. He is the one who paved the way that you and I might inherit heaven through faith in Jesus Christ and by His grace. So God deserves our praise and God deserves our adoration. That is exactly what the angel is preaching. The second angel Um, follows the preaching angel. And this angel proclaims the fall of Babylon. Now, this is a prophecy of worldwide judgment. Babylon here stands for the world system, not just one particular city or one particular nation, but rather the world system is collapsing. The world system is falling. This is a prophecy that the world is falling apart economically. It's falling apart as a man-made system. All of the political and economic and religious earthly kingdoms of the Antichrist are now falling under Jesus' sharp sword of divine judgment and retribution. Now Babylon, of course, rings a bell with us. Uh, It is the nation in which Daniel lived for so many years. And you remember that Babylon, the nation, 2,500 years ago, was very rich. In fact, according to the statue that Daniel sees by Nebuchadnezzar's vision, uh, Babylon is the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. It was by far the richest, most powerful kingdom of all the kingdoms of the earth from that day to this. It was the richest nation. In fact, there is a historian, and I'm sorry I don't recall his name, but this historian uh, went to the nation of Babylon, and he said, I have never seen so much gold in my life. It was the golden kingdom. It was by far the richest kingdom of the world. That old kingdom of Babylon stands for the kingdom of the world in a future day, the kingdom of the world that we actually live in today. Babylon, even earlier, is the place where the Tower of Babel was constructed. Very early in the book of Genesis, you will read about the construction of the Tower of Babel. If you remember, uh, those who constructed the temple said, we don't care if God reaches down to us, but we are powerful enough that we're going to build a, a structure that we are going to reach to Him. Mankind working exactly in the opposite of the way we need to seek our God. We are not going to reach up to touch Him, but rather He reaches down to touch us. So the Tower of Babel failed, if you remember. Not only did it fail, but all uh, of the inhabitants of that one area were scattered across the earth because of God's divine retribution. Babylon then stands for rebellion. The word Babylon stands for earthly wealth and power that is removed from God. And according to the prophecy of the second angel, what the second angel says is that Jesus is going to judge all worldly idolatry. Jesus is going to judge hatred. 
Jesus is going to judge neglect of God's holiness and God's holy name. That is the message of angel number two, that God is going to judge this worldly system that has moved far away from praise and adoration of our Creator and our God. Do you sense that happening in our day? Do you sense it getting worse in our day? I think we should because we move away from that as a society. Now, the message of angel number three is the message of the destination of all of those who reject God's love and God's mercy, God's offer of grace. Where will they end up? The message of angel number three tells us it is simply the message of hell, that the destiny of the lost is that they will be dead in spirit forever and ever. It does not mean they will be eradicated. It does not mean that they're going to puff away like smoke and be gone, but rather they're going to be dead in spirit, but they will be alive forevermore. There are only two ways to die. When you die in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will live eternally. You will be saved. But if you die outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are eternally lost, and hell will be uh, the destination for all eternity. The message of the third angel is hard. The message of the third angel is soul-bearing. Now, we love to hear about the splendors of heaven. And uh, very soon as we get to chapters 21, 22 of Revelation, we're going to study the glories of heaven, and I know we will enjoy that study, and I look forward to teaching that study. The church has a great joy in telling about heaven and what heaven is going to be, but the church is also responsibility, have the responsibility, we're charged with that to reveal the other side of the coin, that while there is a heaven, there is also a hell, and we are to warn about the coming hell. If you remember Paul's words to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, write this scripture down. In Acts chapter 20, verse 27, Paul says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That is still our charge. We are to share with the world all of the counsel of God. On the wonderful positive side of the coin, the great counsel of God is that there is a Savior and every believer in the Savior will inherit heaven. That's the wonderful, joyous side of the coin. But the other side is for every unbeliever, for every rejecter, for everyone who has cursed the name of our God, they are going to inherit the torment of hell. And those are the only two places of eternity that anyone is going to go. We need to proclaim the joys of heaven, but we also need to give the warnings of hell. That is absolutely part of the gospel message. General Booth of the Salvation Army uh, said this many, many years ago. He said, if I had my way, I would not send my young ministers to seminary. I would put them for a sojourn in hell, and then they would come back the evangelist they ought to be. It is important that we warn about hell. Uh, someone from this congregation said up to the, this point in that person's sojourn within the church, hell was so rarely mentioned that this one said, I am so thankful that you will preach on hell, that you will mention hell, because it is a reality. This third angel says, if anyone worships the beast, the Antichrist, 
then he or she will drink of the wine of the full wrath of God. Uh, And, of course, the third angel also says, if you receive this mark of the beast, and I believe that that mark is right around the corner, uh, some type of uh, computer installation in us, some type of uh, barcode on us, what it might be, would would track what we do, uh, contain information about us to receive that kind of mark, will not be honored by God. Anyone who bears that mark, according to the Word of God, will not come to heaven. They've received the mark of the beast and will inherit the full wrath of God. Anyone who worships the beast, the Antichrist, anyone who receives that mark will be cast into the pit of hell, and they will endure and suffer eternal death, eternal punishment, and eternal regret. You know, as Jesus speaks about hell... One of the things that he says about hell, one of the phrases that he uses is that it is a place of gnashing of teeth. And if you look at the derivation of what that means, basically it means regret. You gnash your teeth in regret that you did not make a decision. So hell will be a place of eternal regret for those who heard about the good news of Christ and continued to turn him away. According to the Word of God, in hell there will be no rest, no respite from this punishment, night or day. It will go on forever and ever, and that certainly is a sobering message. Now, some in our world might say, well, you know, I've never worshipped Satan. I've never fallen before a a pagan idol. Uh, I've never performed any type of pagan ritual. But according to the Word of God, you don't have to. What do you need to do to inherit hell? Nothing. That's what the world needs to do in order to inherit hell. They need to do nothing. Every person lives with a choice. There is no neutral ground. To do nothing with regard to Jesus and the offer of salvation means that that person will come to hell one day. Some might say, I don't have to worship God. I can just be a good person. I can do good things. I can be a good neighbor. I can be moral. But according to the Word of God, there's nothing that you or I can do that is good enough or righteous enough or perfect enough to earn us heaven, to earn us forgiveness. It comes only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And many, according to the Word, will be surprised on that great day, the first minute that they die. They will learn because they never truly chose Jesus that they automatically chose Satan and chose hell. And at that point, it's going to be too late for a U-turn. Eternity is set and nothing will change it. So Revelation 14 teaches us some very definite words about hell. Let's look at just a few more facts about that awful place. This is important. You might ask, well, why do we preach on hell? Well, this this is absolutely following Jesus' example. Jesus preached on heaven, but he preached more on hell. So following Jesus' lead, there are some things that we need to know about hell. Perhaps you've never thought of this. Perhaps you have. But who rules hell? You know, a lot of the world will paint this picture that uh, Satan with a pitchfork He's the head man of hell, and that is not the case at all. That's a lie. You don't put the worst prisoner in a prison to rule the prison, do you? 
Satan is not going to rule hell. Jesus Christ rules hell. Jesus Christ owns the keys and rules hell. According to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he holds the keys of ownership to both heaven and hell. Hell will certainly be a place of vile imprisonment. People will be imprisoned with the most perverted, cruel, immoral, murderous people who have ever lived, spending eternity with the Antichrist and with the false prophet and with Satan himself. This is certainly not anybody's idea of a fun place or a place that we even want to look into, much less live. Mark Twain made fun of holy things. Mark Twain said, I choose heaven for the climate, and I choose hell for the company. And here's the picture that he paints that much of the world believes that there's a lot of people who will just sit around in hell, and you'll fan yourself with the heat, but you'll be playing poker with your buddies. That is absolutely warped far, far from the truth. It's a lie of Satan. The third angel in Revelation 14 says that the smoke of torment rises from hell every minute. It is a place of utter anguish. It's a place of utter hopelessness. In hell, a person will never associate with anything or anyone that is godly ever again. Those who thought that church was a waste of time, will cry for the chance to walk into a place of God. But they never will. They will never have the opportunity again. Hope for change is forever gone. Hell is a place of utter darkness. Revelation describes heaven as eternally lighted by the light of God. However, there is no light of God in hell. Heaven is lit by the Lord by His glory, but the Lord is not going to be in hell, and so there is no light there. God is absent. Have you ever gone on a tour of one of the great caverns, maybe in Virginia? I've been on several tours. I remember going as a, a school kid uh, to a, uh, a cavern tour, probably in Luray, and when we got into the belly of that cavern, they turned out all the lights. Did they do that at every tour? And I mean, it's dark. It's dark in there. It's so dark you can't see anything. However, that's bright compared to hell because the, the light of God still shines in a cavern when we're His. But in hell, there is no light of God. It is the darkest place that we cannot even imagine the darkness. In hell, there will never be one shimmer of the glow of Calvary and the offer of grace. The Lamb of God is gone forever, and the door is shut. We see a picture of the door being shut with Noah's ark. When the ark was open, being built, and Noah preached for years, he preached for people to come into the ark, for people to be saved. But when the rains were ready to come, Scripture says that God shut the door. And though people clamored to come into the ark at that point, the door, was, the door was never opened again. It's a picture of hell. It's a picture of the offer of grace. When the door is shut, it will never be opened again. That's the picture that we see. 
What happens to the unsaved person when he or she dies? Well, on earth, essentially the same thing happens to everybody. This is right down the scripture reference, Luke chapter 2, verse, uh, rather, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 16, verse 22. Luke 16, 22. I know this is a very familiar passage of Scripture to you. This has to do with Lazarus and the rich man. Both of them die. And in verse 22 of chapter 16 of Luke, it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. Now, probably the rich man had a very fancy funeral with a fancy coffin and many people who lamented his parting, perhaps. Maybe one of the fanciest funerals that's ever taken place because he was so rich. But it simply says he died and he was buried, period. He was lost. The body is disposed of when a person dies, believer and unbeliever alike. Uh, And I might just briefly say to you, because I've been asked this question many times, what about burial versus cremation, different ways of of disposing of uh, those human remains? And I can say that as in studying God's Word, I can't see that there's uh, anything wrong with cremation. That is a personal choice and a personal decision. But when the day comes that the bodies are raised, they will be raised out of the ocean, they'll be raised out of the ashes, they'll be raised out of the graves and out of coffins. However, God puts us together. God is powerful enough to raise us back up. So however the body is to be taken care of after death, God is going to raise it back up one day. But I want you to listen. While we may take care of someone in death in different ways, what happens to the soul is most important. The saved soul goes to paradise. We see the absolute evidence of that when Jesus is on the cross and there is a believing man by his side. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, verse 43. However, the unsaved soul without Jesus goes to Hades, a place of hellish torment and waiting. Again, back to Luke 16. Uh, that is addressed here, Luke 16, 23. Uh, God's Word says this, 16, 23, and in hell, this is the rich man who was lost in hell, He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. But you'll notice the moment that that rich man died and was buried, he's in torment. Still the case this day. When a believer dies, he or she immediately knows they're in paradise. When an unbeliever dies, immediately that very split second that the soul leaves the body, That person knows he or she is in torment and lost with no chance of a U-turn. Now, at the final judgment, the grave is going to give up the body. Hades is going to give up the souls who denied Jesus Christ. Soul and body is going to be reunited. And then God is going to judge that lost person. According to Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, He is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. 
and soul and body will be cast into the burning lake of fire. That, friends, is the second death. The first death, the physical death, lasts just a few seconds. But the second death in hell lasts for all eternity. Now, if you say, I believe the Bible, there's no way on earth you can explain hell away. It is real. It is a literal place. But now here's a major turn tonight in this study as I bring it to a close. We are charged with the responsibility and the joy and the privilege to preach a living Savior, to teach and live a living Savior out there in the world as witnesses. And here's why we do what we do. Uh, often repeated, but we can't forget this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, no, not one, but that all should come to repentance. Tonight, we need to lead people to say, Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Right now, if you are here or you're going to listen to this study sometime, you can make a U-turn. If you are lost... You can be saved by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But if people wait so long that death overtakes them before they choose Jesus, woe be unto that person. For there will be no turning around. The door that is open now will be shut and never open again. Now, I realize that some people in this world will say, you know, when you preach that, you sound like a used car salesman. You're saying, you better come right now. You better buy this car right now because it may be gone tomorrow. Don't use those used car sales technique on me. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of difference between dickering on a hunk of metal and, and dealing with an eternal destination. The night if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is the moment to receive Him. This is the time to come to Him. Do not play Russian roulette with your future and gamble with being lost for all eternity. There's no guarantee that I'm going to walk down these steps from this pulpit tonight. But if I fail to get down these steps tonight, you can be assured I'll be home. And my prayer that that is true for every one of us. If the Lord sees fit to call us home, to take us out of this world in the next few seconds, we have that assurance of eternity that we're going to be with Him. And we need to invite the world to that. I believe every time that there is a worship service here, I believe every time there's a funeral here, whatever it may be that will bring people together, we need to offer the invitation to Jesus Christ. I've had pastors to tell me, I can't believe that you would include an invitation in a funeral. What better place to invite people to a living Lord than in a funeral service? That is the one thing that gives hope to a family. And there are some who only come to those services and otherwise don't darken the door of a church. They need to hear that invitation, and we need to take the opportunity to share that invitation whenever we're given the chance by God. We're to encourage the world, don't put this off. Don't play with your eternity. Don't wait till you think you're better. This is a now decision. So tonight, we thank God that He gives us the opportunity to give the invitation to Jesus Christ. It's not, just a, it's not just the preacher's privilege to give the invitation. It's yours too. Maybe in your home, maybe with your grandchildren or your children. It may be with another member of your family or someone you love at work or some beloved neighbor. But each one of us 
has the opportunity and the call of God that we are to extend that invitation. You know, someone once said, if anyone hears the gospel and turns Jesus away, and they come to the end of their life and they die and they go to hell, the sad truth is they had to crawl across the old rugged cross to get there. Isn't that sad? That they have to get across the good news of what Jesus did for us to get into hell because they never made a decision. It is our opportunity to share the good news. Jesus loves you. Jesus gave his life for you and for me that we could be forgiven and given heaven and eternity with him. It is our joy to offer that good news. And revelation pushes us. That is our responsibility. Tonight, what we, what we say as we close the Bible here is according to what we hear from the angels, this is an urgent message and we need to share it. May each one of us dedicate our lives to that. May we pray. Our Father, our God, tonight, thank you for the message of the angels. Father, those messages of the angels, as, as one angel proclaims that all are to worship and praise and adore the risen Lord. But Father, also there is a warning that those who do not come to that risen Lord will indeed go to hell. Father, tonight we believe that message. And we are to act on that message by going into the world and sharing the good news with those who need Jesus so much. Those people might live in our own homes. They may live in our communities. Wherever they are, Father, I pray that we will seek them out. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we're grateful for your good news that empowers us and impassions us to take the good news where it is so desperately needed. Bless us, we pray, and thank you for the message of the revelation to us in Jesus' name.